Hey guys, this is Slow Bishop with Radio Rothbard, and I wanted to let you guys know about the first Mises event of 2024. On February 17th, we will be returning to beautiful Tampa, Florida for an event dedicated to inflation, causes, consequences, and the cure. While the government tries to hide the consequences of inflation in their official statistics, Americans see and feel it every time they visit the grocery store. The state and its media lapdogs try to blame inflation on corporate greed, but the true source of inflation is the Federal Reserve and the banking system. We're going to be tackling this issue with a great lineup of speakers, including Joseph Salerno, Patrick Newman, and our new Mises president, the great Tom DeLorenzo. Uh, we have a special code for Radio Rothbard viewers for a 15% discount. That's uh, Rothbard24. And you can uh, find more about this event at Mises.org slash Tampa 2024. Hey, guys, this is The Bitch with Radio Rothbard, and we've got another great offer for Radio Rothbard listeners. We have a free book that we want to send directly to your doorstep. If you are a fan of this show, you have no doubt heard us discuss Murray Rothbard's classic Anatomy of the State his dive into the mechanics of the state as we know it, what the state fears, what its greatest threats are. It is one of the all-time best Rothbard reads, a personal favorite of both myself and Ryan. You can get your free copy as a Radio Rothbard listener by visiting Mises.org slash RothPodFree. That's R-O-T-H-P-O-D free. You can also find the link in our show notes. Welcome back to Radio Rothbard. I'm Ryan McMakin, executive editor with the Mises Institute. My usual co-host, though, Bishop, is under the weather today, so it will be me and my guest, Benjamin Sievers. Uh, ben is uh, recently a, a Mises Institute fellow. That is, he was part of our summer fellowship program. Uh, he has a bachelor's in economics from Grove City College and is presently a PhD student in economics at West Virginia University, uh, where he's just begun that program. And uh, we're glad to have him on because he just recently published an article with us on how Arkansas, the state of Arkansas, the government of Arkansas, is forcing a sale of private land that had been owned by Chinese nationals. And uh, we'll carry a link to that in the description, but it's called Arkansas's attack on Chinese-owned property is reckless and crony-driven. And uh, this is, I'm going to talk about this. I invited Ben on, even though this is a thankless topic uh, from the perspective of uh, being an editor at the Mises Institute, and that every time we run something about free trade, um, about uh, letting foreigners do things that MAGA types don't think they should be doing. We get all sorts of nasty emails. Uh, and so I, I fully expect that to, <laughs> to happen with this one as well, because guess what? We're going to side with free trade and freedom uh, on this, and we're going to talk about some of the reasons why the hysteria uh, and the calls for a new Cold War with China are um, anti-freedom. Uh, it certainly have nothing to do with anyone who's going to claim that uh, they're in free, they're in favor of freedom and free markets. So we'll cover this topic, 
But we will, of course, get uh, plenty of nasty grams about that. All, you know, all from people who claim that they are guided only by reason and logic and never, ever affected by emotion uh, where, while they rage against us. But uh, that's the sort of responses we get to these sorts of topics. But we're going to talk about it anyway. Uh, so, uh, Ben, why don't you just tell us a little bit about uh, what the specifics are? In, in this case, and then we can get into some of the more general principles uh, at work here. But what's going on in Arkansas and what's the deal with this Chinese-owned property? Yeah, and, and uh, first off, just thank you for having me on, Ryan. Um, it's an honor to be on here. Uh, so regarding this uh, recent action by the Arkansas government, uh, they ordered Syngenta, which is a Chinese uh, – it's a subsidiary of the Chinese, of the Chinese government-owned company. Uh, and it's a it's an agricultural ag agricultural firm in Arkansas that owns uh, about 160 acres of land acreage of land. Um, they were ordered to uh, divest of these land. Well, hold on, well, just only a measly 168 acres or 168 thousand. 160 acres. Yeah. 168. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It, it, All right. Go on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I believe that was the uh, the number. Uh, but yeah, they were they were ordered to divest of these land holdings. Um, yeah, 160 acres of it. Uh, they were ordered to, to divest of these land holdings. Uh, I think they were given a window of two years, um, and uh, out of because they were violated a law. And now this law that they violated was a reporting law. Um, but I believe the, the, that the uh, punishments associated with violating such a law were up to the discretion of the government. So they're ordering them to sell, to sell this land when they didn't need to. Um, and, but in this article, I make the case that this is not the, an ethical way of looking at it. And there's a lot of economic problems with this. Um, so I, we, we could get into that, I suppose. Uh, but there, there are some unintended consequences of this law. This is a company that uh, provides a lot of uh, services to American farm, farmers. Uh, one such service is research. So they conduct a lot of uh, agricultural research on their land in the United States. Uh, and that's something that be it benefits directly American farm, farm farmers. So obviously the, the people in charge of the decision either did not care about the effect that this might have on American farmers or they have other interests or they uh, were ignorant of these effects. So it's either unintended consequences or uh, a cronyism, them choosing to benefit some over others. So, yeah, I don't know specifically what you want to get into, but I, I have a few different arguments I levy in this article. Well, yeah, recently. let's get into some of those in this specific case then. Um, and you're right. I just looked at the CNN piece. It's 160 acres, which <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, wow, gee, so much land. Um, and uh, it, uh, so let's look at some of the assumptions behind this. Okay, first of all, a lot of the people who uh, want to get uh, to kick out all the foreign landholders, uh, it's assumed that these people aren't providing any sort of actual service, um, that the market doesn't want them there, that market participants don't benefit from this relationship in any way, and it's uh, it's all just uh, it's all downside only from foreigners own, owning land here. Uh, and you can see it in some of the calls from the politicians who are grandstanding about it, uh, saying that only American citizens should own land. 
uh, of course, we'll see here in in a little bit that uh, well, uh, <laughs> he's a little late to that show because foreigners have been o- owning lots of uh, U.S. land from the very beginning. Uh, but let's look at the specific Arkansas case. It it looks like I would say that we're facing here a bootleggers and Baptists situation. And uh, if if you're not familiar mm-hmm. with that concept, uh, listeners, this is an old uh, old concept where. You get prohibition of alcohol because, A, on one side, you've got the moralists um, who just don't like alcohol for moral reason. And then on the other side, you've got the bootleggers who want booze to be illegal because they make huge profits from running illegal booze. And so there's a private cynical business interest Uh, And then there's a moralist interest and they join forces, people who naturally should hate each other, uh, but they join forces in order to benefit themselves either for psychic profit or real monetary profit. And so maybe there's something like that going on here. And you do touch on that on some of that in your article. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and get into that now. Yeah, so uh, one, that's an excellent point, Ryan. Um, I don't specifically say that, but it, it perhaps would have been great to stress that point. It's not going to be one or the other. It's not going to be crony interests or uh, just m- m- typical conservative anti-China moralizing. It's not going to be one or the other. So what's uh, some of the crony interests? Well, whenever you do order them to, or- to sell the land, uh, <laughs> who's going to buy it? Now, that, that's a big question. Now, could it be Bill Gates who owns – who is one of the biggest landowners in the state who's been acquiring farmland. Uh, could it be him? And he has certainly donated to uh, Republicans, as I found, and in, in, in looking at his uh, op- open uh, open uh, secrets uh, profile on like who, who he donates to, like politics-wise. Now, he hasn't donated directly to Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the current governor, but of course we know that the money, fl- money when you donate to a PAC, it doesn't go to... to uh, it can go to her. It can go to other candidates in the state, or um, she might realize that. Well, look, this is in the best interest of my party. This is the best interest of the Republicans. So I'm going to make this take this action. Or she could have just realized, well, there's large landowners in the state, and I know they could donate to my campaign. So I'm going to take this action, uh, and I know that they will uh, like it. So there might not even be this direct uh, relationship, but the crony interests are. Uh, definitely a, a factor in this, or at least uh, uh, probable. Uh, cronyism, uh, the cronyism explanation is very has a lot of good explanatory power for a lot of uh, um, actions in U.S. history. We we, we have uh, Dr. Patrick Newman who's written an entire book on the topic, um, and the Public Choice School of Economics uh, has uh, looked into uh, various regulations throughout history and has found that uh, rather than moral motivations for law crony interests have, have actually explained more uh, than uh, the typical uh, public welfare uh, theory of regulation. So, so yeah, it's, it's very, and there's other families, uh, other, other large donors, such as the Tyson family. Uh, they, they're, uh, they're, they're a large landowner in Arkansas as well. Um, so I, I, I go through those in my, in the, in the articles a bit. Um, I, I link to all the uh, uh, open secrets profiles. Um, some of them um, may not be as convincing. Others, they've donated a lot of money to PACs. So, uh, but overall, they they come together to kind of paint a picture of okay, there's these there are these clear benefactors, um, and they have donated to these campaign. They have donated campaigns and PACs. So, why do they do that? 
uh, well, clearly to curry favor, uh, politicians service their donors. So why would this case be any different? Now, of course, there's this huge uh, movement, uh, or at least conservative movement, anti-China. They, they don't want foreigners buying land, as you mentioned. Uh, whenever they hear that China is uh, some, some Chinese company bought land or owns land, they, they get in a tizzy about it. And we, we, we discovered that when, you know, I've, I've received emails, um, it, the tweet has, when, when this article is tweeted, it's received responses. And when I published a similar article back in July, it also uh, garnered a similar response. Uh, but in the end, a lot of the moralizing, a lot of the uh, arguments are, are not really rooted in uh, what we take to be uh, right, uh, libertarian ethics. Uh, so... It, it, it's it like they they say things that they they try to mask their uh, uh, faulty economic arguments in uh, moral arguments. So okay, we're we're a so, we're, we're a sovereign people or we're a sovereign country. Uh, they're they're not part of us. So they don't. It, land is a birthright. I, someone said land is a birthright. Uh, no, <laughs> you, you don't you don't gain land by being born. You gain land through homesteading. You you gain land through transforming it. And that's how you bring it into your property. That's how you convert it into your property. You, you don't gain land by being born in a uh, arbitrarily defined geographic region. That's not how you gain control over land. So, but the people who own this land legitimately, those who gained it through voluntary trade and homesteading, they're the ones that sold it to China. Like not China, but they're the ones that sold it to Syngenta, the Chinese uh, owned company. Yeah, let's so, let's look at that a little bit more deeply, right? Uh, so in the article, yeah, before we move on to the more sort of the deeper um, uh, principles behind it, just I want to establish a yeah. little bit better what the cronyist angle is. Uh, now you have established clearly here that there's there are interest groups behind this legislation, right? People giving money. Um, there's there are certain political interests. Uh, that are are using this issue uh, to gain this new government regulation, uh, this government prohibition uh, through the Arkansas State House. Uh, okay, good. Well, why why are they doing that? What is the non moralist? You can see, right? There could be a nationalist element, right? Economic nationalism. But what sort of organizations? Let's just think could benefit from there being prohibitions on this sort of thing. And this is what was always what I wanna, what I found every time I read economics in one lesson, what I'm always reminded of is uh, Hazlitt is so good in that with taking some sort of economic regulation or a tax and people, a lot of naive people just think, oh, it's because people wanted to do good things and people were motivated by deep principle and stuff. And Hazlitt generally shows that no, actually there's just some sort of lobby here that there's a lobby behind these labor laws. Yeah. There's a lobby behind minimum wage. There's a lobby behind these restrictions on trade. Uh, these are the reasons those laws exist, not some kind wishes for mankind. Uh, and so you note here, for example, uh, that there could be private businesses, say like Tyson Foods, who uh, could face benefit who would who would benefit from prohibitions on foreign land and so am i right in thinking then that okay land speculators would benefit right from foreigners being able to freely purchase land here right you would you would buy a bunch mm -hmm. of land then sure you would want a bunch of foreigners to buy land there we see that happen a lot in 
Aspen, Colorado, for example, um, where it used to be a lot of Russian oligarchs. I don't know who's buying their land at the moment. Um, but they would come in, and this was an agricultural land, of course, uh, but they would just come in and buy huge houses and, and uh, riverfront property and stuff and massively drive the prices up. Uh, and so normal Coloradans like me avoid Aspen like poison um, because it's all just like art galleries and insufferable rich people. We go to different ski towns uh, other than Aspen, uh, but that's who's in Aspen. Uh, it's a lot of tons of foreigners. Uh, okay, so if you're if you're a realtor there, you're doing great. Uh, if you're selling to these people, all right. So you can see why those people wouldn't want any sort of ban on. But who would? I guess it would be people who would want to, uh, who are in the business of acquiring land uh, yes. and using it. Yeah. And so you could see then how other agricultural interests would, uh, would domestic agricultural interests would then benefit from prohibitions on foreign ownership. So you could see absolutely why those people would form, um, form interests and want uh, to see, want to make sure that it's easier for domestic firms to acquire this land and use it for their own agricultural interests. And so, yeah, it, there are some big agricultural interests there like Tyson. And you could uh, certainly any domestic person who's in the business of up to, as you know, Bill Gates, who's maybe in the business, uh, who is one of the largest owners of farmland in Arkansas, you know, uh, all yeah. these people then, why would they want to compete with Chinese buyers? So clearly there's, you can see, you can, you can demonstrate a monetary uh, motivation right there then, can you not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, now one thing this does do, like Bill Gates is a good example because he's been, a, he's been recent, in recent years, he's been, quite, he's, been a, he's been progressively acquiring land in the United States, farmland. Um, uh, but this, say like the Tyson company, well, why would they want this? Uh, they, they're not famed for <laughs> acquiring land like Bill Gates is. Uh, so imagine if they tried to acquire this land uh, in a free market in the absence of government interventions or orders to uh, uh, divest of the land holdings. Imagine if they tried to acquire it then. Well, they'd probably have to buy a, pay a higher price. Um, now, whenever you do impose from above the government telling them like listen you you have to sell this this, this makes them a much e this makes them a more eager seller than they were before so th this essentially uh, uh, makes it more cheaply for companies like Tyson or whatever other farmers who are in the uh, market for buying land uh, it makes it more cheaply for them to integrate or uh, i guess i guess horizontally integrate uh, with um, with uh, Syngenta without merging with the company they they just acquire their assets and of course uh, I'm, I'm assuming Syngenta just doesn't have farms in the United States. Uh, they have a headquarters in Arkansas too. Like they have buildings. They have other. They have. I'm, I'm sure they have countless other assets. They have employees. Um, so who? Where are these people going to work? Uh, wh where's their? Uh, what's their next best alternative? Uh, if they work for an agricultural firm, I'm sure that they might try to go into the market for and um, go into the labor market uh, for other agricultural firms. Try to get a job there, or some other maybe Tyson Foods, maybe perhaps some other uh, firm. So, yeah, it's not just the land holdings that are uh, uh, going to be going to other farmers. It's it's probably the labor, the capital, the um, uh, what, the buildings that they own, all the other. Uh, resources that they have control over. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's it will clearly benefit those who are in the market for acquiring land. I you you noted that the article notes that, um, 
Now, who they are, that, that's a trickier issue. And uh, the point of going through the uh, political uh, contributions is kind of maybe suggested that um, the, these the people who have donated, the, farm, the farming companies that have donated before, are the ones who would benefit from this. Um, and it would make sense that the, the politicians who enact these laws and regulations um, would be doing so to service those people who have donated to them. Well, and I'm sure it's a winning political issue too. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. Right. I mean, you just badmouth foreigners and uh, want to keep them out. Uh, and you can just say things like foreigners shouldn't own American land and lots of people nod. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's an easy choice, I think, from the politician's point of view. Uh, but the next step, I think, before we get into the principles here is let's just cover one quick issue here. Now, you note in the article that China owns hardly any farmland in the U.S. It's uh, yeah. 0.03 percent of total farmland privately owned in the U.S. Now, you have you use a link there uh, that goes to MSN.com. But I, I looked up a page at the Farmers Bureau. This is November 2023 data. And so who owns mm-hmm. who owns this foreign land, right? Um, it turns out uh, you probably you know more intelligent people won't be shocked by it. It's Canadian investors uh, are among the are the foreign nationals own the the most foreign held uh, agricultural land in the U.S. They own thirty one percent of all foreign held agricultural land. That's twelve point eight million acres, um, and that's 097 percent of all U.S. agricultural land overall. Um, and so okay. That's that's less than one percent for Canada. So who else owns all of this land? Um, let's see. We got next up is the Netherlands, which uh, owns 0.37 percent of all agricultural land. Um, and then after that, what, what do we got? Italy, the UK, Germany. Um, but all this adds up to just not very much at all, Italy 0.21%, the UK 0.19%, and it just keeps getting smaller from there. Uh, China is not in the top 10 list here at all. That's all European uh, countries or Canada. And so if you look at the other owners of ag land in the United States, that all that combined is 0.85%, all of these other, other countries, including Japan, China, Sweden, et cetera, et cetera. China, which owns less than Japan, um, 0.03%, as you note, here in the Farm Bureau's data, uh, a little less than Mexico, 0.05%. And wow, uh, just what, what a huge amount. Um, let's compare to uh, how much the US government owns uh, of <laughs> land in the United States. Uh, so we're, when we're looking at the largest landowner, that's 12.8 million acres of ag land. Federal government, 640 million acres, um, which, as we know, also is uh, often 50 percent or more, sometimes 80 percent of all the land in certain states, like in Nevada. Right. In Colorado, it's about 35 percent. And in a number of Western states, it's over 50 percent. Of course, in Alaska, it's huge. Um, And gee, who's the biggest threat to your actual freedom on a daily basis, the U.S. government or the Chinese government? How much does the Chinese government tax you uh, every year, American citizen? Uh, how much? Uh, how how much of your life has the Chinese government controlled, regulated, 
how many people have been locked up in the United States by the Chinese government. I mean, it's it's amazing the the way people get hysterical over a foreign government that has virtually no control over them. And as thank and because the United States, of course, is across an ocean, has a nuclear arsenal, a huge navy. The odds of China having any control over your daily life are about zero. And yet people get really, really worked up about it because of this 0.03% of land, um, which uh, foreigners, of course, have owned land in America forever. Uh, the British, of course, used to own huge amounts of land. That's declined over time. Even after the war, the British hung on and, and the U.S. Re re relied heavily on British investors to keep things going. Um, and uh, that's that's just been a fact of American life. And, and as Walter Block points out in his article, right, if you're if you're old like us, you remember all the hysteria over Japan in the late 80s and early 1990s when Japan was going to take over the United States. And everyone freaked out when Japanese investors bought uh, Rockefeller Center in New York City, which is, of course, where you know, they film a bunch of NBC shows and it's a pretty important building. And it's named after Rockefeller. Um, the Chinese nationals ended up selling that. And guess what? They didn't take over America. Uh, it didn't turn out that their owning of Rockefeller Center amounted to much of anything at all. So uh, we've been we've seen this before. And uh, the reaction is very similar now to what we saw with all the uh, anti-Japan rhetoric in that time period. Um, and one other question we have to ask, which I don't think has been really mentioned enough at all, is why does China have all these dollars uh, that they want to invest in the United States and buy stuff? It's, it's because Americans buy stuff from China. Americans mm -hmm. voluntarily gave those dollars to the Chinese, and now the Chinese need to, have, need to do something with those dollars. Uh, Another reason that they have so many dollars is because of the importance of U.S. Treasury. So the Chinese, they, they need to have dollars available. They buy a bunch of treasuries because that's low uh, risk. Uh, because they have all of those dollars, they buy U.S. debt. So no one seems to get particularly worked up about the fact that the Chinese uh, own all this debt, although you're starting to hear some people freaking out about that, which is probably a far more important issue than the fact that they own any agricultural land. Uh, and so if, if, if you're going to hand over tons of dollars to the Chinese, don't get terribly upset when they start buying American stuff. And yeah. uh, so what's the answer to that? Oh, to tax Americans more so they don't buy Chinese stuff? Oh, that's a great pro-freedom solution. Just raise taxes on imported goods. Great. So that our cost of living goes up even more. Great solution. But that's, that's pretty much the only thing they've got in their holsters in their uh, toolbox for these people who tell us that that's a problem, that they want the Chinese to have fewer U.S. dollars. So that's kind of the level of thinking that uh, the economic nationalists seem to be thinking about on this. Yeah, and to their credit, the, the same people who are uh, who are complaining about the debt, who are complaining about this issue, issue, are also the same people who are complaining about the debt issue, like China accumulating debt. Uh, but it's it's rational on their part. I mean, they're 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 they have all these U.S. dollars. I mean, they're they're going they're buying U.S. denominated assets like debt, farmland, and so on. So, but I think a, an important question to ask is, uh, who? What are they trying to influence by doing so? Now, if let's assume it's a Chinese conspiracy through and through that they're doing this to like uh, uh, screw us over, basically. Um, let's assume that. Uh, I, I don't think that's true. Uh, but let's just assume that. Um, what, uh, what 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 could they do with this land? 
And uh, let's uh, Syngenta obviously is a is a company that they're trying they're trying to make profits and so on. But let, let's assume that China is controlling them through and through. Um, <laughs> the, the, a lot of these acquisitions, a lot of the farmland acquisitions, are part of their One Belt One One Road initiative, which is essentially to control a lot of more of uh, their own food supply. <laughs> so. Who are they going to be harming by uh, cutting off? Say, let's say they cut off production. Like, who are they going to be harming? They're going to be harming their own people. <laughs> so, like, if if their goal is to, their their goal is to basically take over some of their own food supply, which is coming from the United States. So, w- w- how are Americans being harmed in this? <laughs> so, and as I noted before, Americans are being benefited, especially in the Syngenta case, who they they provide services to American farmers and to the people who are selling them the land they're not being forced they're not having their arms uh they're not having their arms put behind their back doing this so yeah it's it's completely uh uh ridiculous to say that they're doing this to uh garner influence over americans by controlling our food supply or uh it's it's not of any benefit to any americans whatsoever it is a benefit to a lot of americans and it'd be it's, it's a hard case to make that they're doing this to control our food supply. Well, and let, then let's get into, yeah, these issues of the morals behind uh, seizing property, uh, telling Americans who they can sell their land to. Because, yeah, as you noted, right, some, someone sold this land to these Chinese investors. Uh, was it an American? Probably was. Uh, based on the statistics we just looked at, there's a very high probability that uh, this land was owned by an American (laughs) and then sold to the Chinese. Okay. Uh, So what you're saying then is that we need laws prohibiting Americans from selling stuff who they want to sell it to. Now, I suppose if you're a drug war uh, person, then that makes perfect sense to you. Uh, But generally, America was founded on this idea that people should be able to buy and sell uh, what they want and to who, especially when we're talking about land. And so somebody sold this land to China, uh, and what they're saying is, nope, people should not be allowed to sell to whomever they want, and no foreigners, if you believe some of these politicians, no foreigners at all can you sell land to. Okay, well, what if I want to sell that land to foreigners? This is the question I always ask to anti-free trade people, is is like, well, you got to control trade or else uh, you lose jobs in America and so on. Well, no law means anything unless you enforce it. So the question always is, uh, how how big should the fines be and how long do you want to lock people in cages for trying to import goods from a country that you don't think they should import goods from? So how long will we lock Americans in cages for selling land to the Chinese? Um, that's a question you need to ask. What are the penalties for trying to sell land to a Chinese national or any foreign national if you if you think that should be illegal and verboten? What, what are the penalties you propose for that? Um, and what you're telling me is you're in favor of locking people up for engaging in totally peaceful behavior. Exactly. And uh, that's, that's, that's the end game of all protectionism. Um, and I haven't heard an answer on that, of course, because they, they never look at the side of how this controls Americans and what they can do in terms of sales and investment. Yeah, their argument is basically that, well, okay, we can't have free trade with a, co- with a country that's fundamentally socialist. Um, well, I counter that by saying, well, if you're going to put restrictions, <laughs> you, you, you can't you can't put restrictions on uh, on a country that's uh, on trading with a country that's socialist and call that free trade because that's definitely not free trade. Uh, free, as uh, Rothbard notes, that free trade is uh, should be unilateral. I mean, who who cares what they do? I mean, it, of course, it'd be better if they 
privatized all their companies. If Syngenta was completely privatized, like all of its all the shares the government owns were sold off or uh, given to some private actor, of course it'd be better if that were the case. But that's not the reality we're dealing with. It's like the same people that say, "Oh, if you're a libertarian, uh, why why do you drive on the road, the government road?" Well, we, I've been, we've been deprived of the private alternative. If you're a, if you're a libertarian, why are you sending your kid to public schools? We're, that's even worse because we're being forced to pay it and we're being deprived of the private alternative, essentially. So in this case, we're being deprived of private Chinese companies. And plus the, the, the Chinese taxpayer, the Chinese, the, or I, I guess, that, I don't even know if they pay taxes because the government probably controls a lot of the income. Uh, but the Chinese taxpayer, um, they're the ones that are being also being deprived of a uh, private exporter. Somebody who they can work for, who they export and uh, they get U.S. dollars in return or whatever, they're being deprived of a private exporter. So re to say, okay, we, we need to just completely stop trading with these people, stop trading with these public entities uh, because we don't have the completely private alternative. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist in the United States. <laughs> Countless companies receive uh, privileges uh, either through uh, – monetary payments from the government or regulations that uh, benefit them in some way, or they perhaps they re receive uh, uh, loans that would, were made possible through Federal Reserve uh, interve intervention in the economy. So there's plenty of companies in the United States that uh, receive benefits similar to that, that of Chinese companies. So should we stop trading with those? No, we're being deprived of the private alternative. So uh, I, I think that the argument that, oh, since they're a, since they're a partially public or a majority public share company um, that we that we need to have the government intervene to uh, to uh, prevent us from trading with them. That, that's completely absurd. Um, any any free market any person who believes in the free market should reject that argument. Uh, and, and furthermore, as a as a libertarian, uh, there's a lot of people who uh, listen to our arguments for uh, privatizing police, privatizing security, who are all are all on board. Uh, but when it comes to the national security concerns of China, uh, they, they believe in government intervention. Why not privatize the response to that as well? Uh, if, you, if you think that it's insecure to trade with China, uh, don't buy Chinese. But given that so many people do, it's obviously, uh, it's obviously uh, the, the costs outweigh the benefits of doing so, of, of cutting off trade uh, uh, for these petty national security concerns. That should either indicate that the national security benefits are very small compared to the uh, detriments of cutting off trade, or they're not existent entirely. <laughs> so, uh, like people like uh, people like Zachary Yost and uh, others, that uh, Joseph Mullins, the Libertarian, who just published a book on uh, China, fake China threat. I, I haven't got that book yet, but uh, I've, I've I've seen it. He's making the rounds on the uh, podcast circuit. Um, so there, there's there's plenty of criticism of this uh, <clears throat> of this. Uh, uh, idea that China is a huge threat, and what I see most in conservatives, and you see this a lot of foreign conflicts, especially recently, is that they like to point to the words of our adversaries and say that that's evidence that that they're trying to go against us. You see how the way U.S. politicians talk, <laughs> people rhetoric's the name of the game. Uh, why why should we take words seriously? Shouldn't actions speak louder? <laughs> they, of course, every country has their expansionist measures. Every country uh, engages in uh, unjust actions, acquiring property that shouldn't be theirs. But at the end of the day, what does all this say? I mean, a lot of conservatives point, oh, China has tough words. 
the Soviet Union did too. Uh, uh, one of the things they liked to cite uh, with the Soviet Union specifically was, oh, that we'll bury you in our uh, in our output, in our production. We'll bury you. We're going to bury the United States. But we're really referring to their product- production, how much they produce. So obviously these words can be taken out of context very easily and become like the cornerstone of foreign policy. <laughs> so I... We, we have we have the arguments. We're applying economics to understanding foreign affairs. That is way better than having some romantic view of it that holds the intentions of foreign policymakers above any other consideration. Well, and uh, it's just amazing, too, to see the asymmetry between U.S. power and Chinese power. Uh, also, when you look at the fact that the U.S. has multiple colonies, bases basically surrounding eastern China, um, but we're supposed to be deeply, deeply worried about them owning uh, a few dozen acres of farmland uh, in Arkansas. And uh, so I just assume most people just have no, no idea what the reality is. The U.S. is sailing uh, the Navy uh, through the Taiwan Strait uh, right off the coast of China. I mean, just imagine the hysteria of China were to sail uh, some of their Navy into the Gulf of Mexico, which they never do. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and why? Because the U.S. has such a complete, total control of the Western Hemisphere. Um, and then the most China can hope for is, is friendly trade relations and some minor military exercises uh, in Latin America, which uh, pose no real threat to anybody in North America. So it's really quite remarkable uh, just how worked up people get about these. And so we've shown then, of course, that on a practical level, right, China hardly owns any land. China has no rival, uh, no naval power that could even remotely uh, pose any threat to uh, the American mainland. So on a pragmatic level, it's just, it's like, it's like a nothing issue. Um, But then on a moral level too, it's just, you're telling Americans what they can do with their own property as Walter, uh, who, who does not idealize the U.S. Constitution, nevertheless, asks, hey, where in the text does it say the federal government can control who can or cannot own land? Um, It doesn't. It's not in the enumerated powers. So uh, we certainly can't have any federal regulation on that. Um, Now, this would be Arkansas law. So that would be a little bit different. Um, But on a moral level, why should Arkansas be in the business of telling Americans who they can sell their land to? Um, suddenly they're all suddenly, uh, you know, your, your state legislator who's probably never read a book in his life on foreign policy suddenly is an expert on why national security requires, uh, a ban on, uh, foreign nationals owning land in Arkansas. So that just seems to be, uh, where we are, but as we noted politically, it's, uh, they'll be fine. And I can't imagine anyone will be punished at the ballot box. Uh, for this position. The people who will be punished will be, you know, usual market participants, anyone who benefits from uh, Syngenta, um, anyone who might have benefited uh, from these land sales, um, and uh, yeah, just domestic landowners who who could participate in that market and people who might actually like these services from China. But just remember, the reason they have all of these dollars is because Americans gave them to them and Americans chose to dominate uh, the international uh, currency trade by just pumping so much debt uh, into the international economy uh, through just trillions of dollars uh, in bonds that they keep putting out. And that greatly mo- is what motivates the Chinese to have access to lots of dollars um, as on top of uh, the trade where they just get flooded um, with dollars in general. Uh, and uh, so that's just that's just the reality of 
of what's going on there. And so you would need to really overhaul the situation in order to ch change this demand for American goods. But that's just not what's going on right now. Yeah, the you, you hit the nail right on the head with all that. Um, the situation right now is that you have the, you have the choice between uh, government intervention, which requires aggression against private property owners and domestically, or just allowing freedom to reign. And allowing freedom to reign may allow some publicly owned company to come in, uh, but we're 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 in, we're in favor of uh, private property. And if we're in favor of private property, we should uh, be against uh, intervention, regardless of whether it's a private or public actor. Now, some people will take it to the extreme. I saw one person comment, "This is why we. This is why states should prevent other people in other states from buying land <laughs> in in their, in their own state." Uh, but we, we, that's that's completely ridiculous. It's 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 putting uh, authority in the hands of the state, in the hands of the governments that uh, preside over us, that they should never have had in the first place. Um, and uh, yeah, we, there's no libertarian argument uh, for this action. All right. Well, with that, we better wrap up this episode of Radio Rothbard. Thank you, Benjamin Sievers, for uh, being my guest today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next time.